Would you pray with me? <coughs> Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this plan of yours to send salvation to us by sending your Son. And Jesus, we thank you for coming. And Lord, we pray that our hearts would honor and glorify you now as we listen to you and the, the rich meaning of the names of Jesus that you have revealed to us. Fill us with the Holy Spirit as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you that were here last Sunday, you might remember that we walked through the Old Testament. We looked at the names of some of the important characters in the Old Testament, and their names were filled with deep meaning. And you can tell the story of the Old Testament by looking at, at what the names of those characters mean. Well, where did you get your name? I asked that question last week about your, your first name or your middle name. Today I want to ask you the question, what does your last name mean? And as you're gathering with family, and if you don't know what your last name means, maybe you should ask somebody what your last name means. Um, I was just looking at the Carpenter family. What a great last name there. Carpenter, our, our savior, uh, the son of a carpenter. Um, Ugarud, the last name means handsome preacher. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah. that's Benner. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, it's not true. Um, rude is a Norwegian suffix that means the place or the village or something, and I guess Ugi was an old name in Old Norse, so it's the place where Ugi lived. So that's my name. All right, what does your name mean? Um, you know, one of the one of the names I tried to make, uh, one of the points I tried to make last week was that uh, names in the Bible often carry deep, deep meaning. And that's especially true as we get to the names of Jesus that we're going to look at today. One of my favorite verses, is it's not just one of my favorite Christmas verses, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, two verses actually, from Luke 2, 10 through 11. This is the angel speaking to the shepherds. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So what he's about to say is good news for great joy. And then he says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So we learn that he's Savior, he's Christ, he's Lord. We're going to look at another passage shortly in which we're going to see two more names of Jesus. So my, my sermon today, we've got five names of Jesus that we're going to look at. And my prayer is that either you would learn something new that, that would be sweet to your soul, or that you would remember something that you've known for a long time and would cause your heart to overflow with joy. So there, there is rich meaning as we look at these names of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. The first name that I want to look at today is Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus means? Who knows it? We've said it quite a few times. George, you got it? It's close. Very close. Saved now. It's so close. Josiah, the Lord saves. That's what the name Jesus means. It means the Lord saves. In Matthew 1, 20-21, this is an angel speaking to Joseph. Uh, but after he, Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So the name Jesus means the Lord saves. Now it's interesting. Jesus was a common name back then. In fact, when Jesus was born, there were probably lots of other little kids named Jesus running around. In fact, Jesus is the, the same name as a common Old Testament name. Does anybody remember? I, I said this one last Sunday. What name in the Old Testament is the same name as Jesus? Joshua. Very good. So both Joshua and Jesus mean the Lord saves. Now, it's interesting. Think about that. Parents 
for hundreds, maybe even a thousand years, named their children Joshua or Jesus because they were looking ahead to the Lord who would save. They were waiting and waiting and waiting for that one who would come who would save them. And then for Jesus to be given this name Jesus, it's no longer a name looking ahead. It's that salvation has come in the form of Jesus Christ because of what he has done for us, because of who he is and what he was able to do on the cross to save us from our sins. For Jesus to be born means that God saw the need of his people. That was a, a theme last week as well as we looked at the Old Testament. God cared about his people. God cares about us. Do you ever feel like maybe you go through a season in life and you're saying, why doesn't God do more to rescue me? Why doesn't God show up and do X? Well, guess what? God does see. He cares about his people. And the fact that he, he cared enough to send the very best he sent, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. The Lord saves. Next name I want to look at is Messiah or Christ. Now, just like Joshua and Jesus are the same name, Joshua is the Hebrew name, Greek, uh, Jesus is kind of the Greek way to say it. It's the same thing with Messiah and Christ. Messiah is a Hebrew word, Christ is a Greek word, and they both mean anointed. Now, that word anointed shows up a lot in the Old Testament. It usually would mean that, that God had set apart a person for a specific role or a specific job. So, for example, in Exodus 29.7, the priests would get anointed. So there would be people who were, were set apart to be priests, and they would go through a ceremony in which they would get anointed with oil, and after that they would be set apart as priests. It's the same thing with kings. In 1 Samuel 16.13, you can see this, where King David was anointed with oil and then set aside to be the king of Israel. Now, in one sense, there were many anointed people in the Old Testament. There were many priests. There were many kings. But faithful Israelites started to look forward to the anointed one. So, so in one hand, there were lots of anointed ones in the Old Testament, but they looked ahead to the anointed one. And in the Old Testament, there are these prophecies about a coming priest or about a coming king. And in fact, some prophecies combined the two and they talked about a priest who would be a king. And people looked forward and looked forward for that day when the Messiah would come. That's why people asked Jesus when he came, Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we were longing for and waiting for? Now there's this interesting story in Luke 4. Jesus enters into a synagogue and he, he picks up a scroll. He's handed a scroll and he begins to read it. In Luke 4, 18-21, he's reading from Isaiah 61. He picks out a passage that says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. To see that word anointed there? Messiah? He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me just stop there for a moment. That would have been a, a familiar passage to the people. They would have known that passage. Most of them probably would have known that passage and would have been waiting for that person who was to come. Then look at verse 20, what Jesus did. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine being there, waiting and waiting and waiting for your Messiah to come? And then Jesus reads this passage, and he says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Because Jesus is the Messiah, he is the one who could fulfill those prophecies. Look at those prophecies about good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, 
to release the oppressed, the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, as our Messiah, came to do those things. And we know that he is coming again. So in fact, we're, we're actually kind of like those people. As they waited and they waited and they waited for their Messiah to come, we also are waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ on that day when he will bring about the fullness of our salvation. But rest assured, God did it the first time and he will do it again a second time. And one of the things that I want you to know about these titles, Messiah and Christ, is that God has a plan. And we might think that his plan sometimes is moving along more slowly than we would like. Anybody ever felt that? We have that longing inside of us for things to be better. We have that longing inside of us for eternity. Please know that God will fulfill his promises and we can rejoice today in our Messiah, in Jesus Christ. Our next name is Savior. You ever needed to be rescued from something? Um, I want to tell a story about a time when I needed to be rescued. Although, it was, I wasn't in any grave danger in this story. So I'm actually using this story as kind of a contrast, and I'll explain that in a moment. Here's my story. You ever run out of gas? Um, I was uh, in college one time, and uh, one time, I was about four years actually I was in college. Um, but one day while I was in college, I think I was home for summer break, and I needed to go to the library and then to the gas station. I knew I had just a very little amount of gas in my tank, and I thought I could make it to the library first and then go to the gas station. So I'm in Fergus Falls here, and you know the, gas, the, the library is only like two blocks away from M&H, so that was my route that I was taking. I, I make it to the library, I do my stuff there, get in my car, start driving to the gas station, and I miss it by about a block. I'm from a block short. So I, I walk to M&H and I say, you can see my, I'm that car right there, we, can you guys like give me a, a, something of gas? I'm like, oh, alright, we'll, we'll need your driver's license. Fine. You guys can watch me if you want to. I'm right, I need like a tenth of a gallon of gas just to get me to your gas station and I'll purchase gas. So I, I ran out of gas. I needed to be rescued. Well, not exactly. The, the reason I tell that story is because I think a lot of people assume that, that when it's time for God to decide whether or not they'll get into heaven, that God might look at them and say, oh, you know what, you were pretty good. You made it most of the way. I'll help you with that little last bit that you just didn't get, and, and I'll let you in. I, I think that most people, when they think about needing to be saved from their sins, they, they maybe look at the sins of other people and they say, well, I'm not that bad. I didn't, I didn't murder anybody. I, I tried to be a good person. So when we think of our salvation, maybe sometimes we think of it like, like me, just needing a, a tiny little bit of help to make it to the gas station. Well, we read earlier in Matthew 121 that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. We humans, as it implies, there needed to be saved from our sins, but saved from what? How bad were we lost? I want to show you two verses here from Romans 6. And these are verses that, that I think anybody who is sincere about growing in their faith and becoming a student of the Bible, these are verses that you should know and, and probably memorize. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now when I talk to people about that verse, usually people are on board with it. When we describe sin as either doing something that God doesn't want us to do, or as not doing something that God did want us to do, pretty much everybody I've ever met has said, yeah, I've, I've fallen short of that standard. And the verse even talks about the standard being the, the glory of God, the perfection of God. Who of us here has lived up to that standard? None of us. We all fall short. And it's the next verse then that tells us how bad it is. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. And let me just stop right there for a moment. You think back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. They sinned, and one of their punishments was death. And that death is carried on throughout humanity so that we all 
face it, whether we're talking about the death of loved ones or whether we're talking about our own impending death. That is part of the penalty for sin. Human death. But it's even worse than that because that death would also be a spiritual death, an eternal death that would separate us from God forever. Our sin is so bad that it would have separated us from God forever. Now, as we think about the, the great cost of our sin, do you ever, do you ever struggle with knowing how much to value something? Did any of you, um, any of you collect baseball cards? When you, raise your hand if you collected baseball cards. Okay. Um, even some girls I saw. All right. I like to see that. Um, I thought that I was going to pay for my college with my baseball cards. Like, you know, millions of dollars worth of money from these baseball cards. And now, let's say that I tried to go and sell my baseball cards, and I thought, oh, maybe, maybe now I'm a little more realistic. Maybe I'll get, like, $15,000 for them or something. Um, but let's say that somebody comes and sees my card collection, and they say, I'll give you $500 for it. Now, what are my cards worth? Are they worth the $15,000 that I thought they were worth? Or are they worth the $500 that somebody was willing to pay me? It's, you know, right? It's, it's worth $500. When we think about our sin, I think sometimes we think about it like me running out of gas. Oh, man, shucks. I didn't quite do it right. And, and maybe we hope that God would just look over our sins. That's how we might value our sin. But think about it from God's perspective. Our sins are so costly that it costs the life of Jesus Christ. God's beloved Son. You see, I think when we look at the cross, we understand there just how bad our sin is. When we look at the cross, we, we recognize how, how deeply separated we were and would have been eternally had Jesus not stepped in. Our sin is so bad that it took the death of Jesus Christ on the cross to save us from it. So please understand that when, when we talk to God for forgiveness, and that's an ongoing need for us, by the way, an ongoing need to be cleansed from those sins that we commit every day. Um, as we talk to God about that, please recognize that our sin is offensive to God and that the payment is Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord, Jesus came to, to rescue us from sins. That's why he came, right? He came to rescue sinners like you and me. In fact, there were some people that were a little bit upset with Jesus when he came. In, in Luke 19.7, remember, and you almost have to read this verse like gasping with your hand over your mouth. Some people were saying about Jesus, he has gone to be the guest of oh, a sinner. They were, they were wondering how Jesus could hang out with such sinners. And do you remember, do you know what we're going to go to just three verses later, Jesus' response to them? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's why Jesus came, because you and I were sinners. We had offended God. We had earned a death penalty. That's why in Romans 6.23, the good news is so good. That, that part, I'll scroll back to it here. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we scroll ahead now to Matthew 121 and we remember that Jesus came to save his people from their sins we realize that, that God is calling us out of death and into life God has a new relationship with us that he wants us to live in in which he cleanses us from sin in which we walk with him in newness of life Christianity begins by coming to Jesus as our savior by being rescued from that old way of life that we all walked in and being brought into this new way of life God loves sinners. He loves us. He loves those that haven't come to Christ yet. 
May we be people who recognize this great gift and proclaim this gift to others. In John 3.17 it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That is the gift given to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, we have, for those of us that have received Jesus Christ, we have been rescued from sin and death. We've been rescued into a new life, and on that note, I want to move into the next name of Jesus, Lord. I have a saying, everyone wants a Savior, not everyone wants a Lord. And, and the reason I say it that way is because if we were able to rightly explain to people the two options, either you get to go to heaven and be with God in the perfect place and, and live in perfect joy forever, or you live in eternal torment in the place that God designed for his enemies as punishment, eternal punishment for them. And, and if you could be in one place or the other, any person in their right mind would say, well, I'd, I'd rather be in the perfect place than to be in a place of eternal torment forever. And if you were to explain to them that they need to be saved in order for that to happen, they would probably say, okay, I'd like to be saved. But if we were to ask the question about, do you want a Lord? Now, Lord means master. Lord means the person who is in control. And to receive Jesus as Lord means that we're giving control of our lives to him. That's where some people might say, hey, wait a second, I have plans for my life. There, there are things that I would like to do with my life. And, and a lot of people, I think, balk at this idea of giving their lives to Jesus because they don't know that they want him directing their lives. We all think that we have such good plans. Um, even as Christians, we're tempted to think that our way is best. But one of the things I want us to recognize as we look at the name Lord is that our best life is the one where we follow God into the life that he has for us, where we are guided into it, not where we direct ourselves. Now, the, the, the name Lord, or the title Lord, is a common one, in, in obviously in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. Two things real quickly that it means. One, it's a name for God. So as you're reading the Old Testament, you see Lord. It's, like, it's the personal name of God. God is the general name that, that any religious worshiper of any religion would call their God. But Lord is the personal name that God reveals to his people that, that, they would call, that we would call him by. But then Lord also means master. In the New Testament, the word Lord has a meaning that means master. And I want to show you a parable. It's probably my favorite parable in the Bible. Matthew 21, 33 through 41. Uh, we don't have this in your bulletin. If you have your Bibles, you might want to open up to it. Matthew 21, verses 33 through 41. And if you don't have your Bible, just listen along. These parables were meant to be stories, so this parable should be pretty easy to follow along just orally as you listen. Matthew 21, 33 through 41. It's Jesus speaking. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. His fruit. It's okay for him to do that, right? It's his fruit. He had the agreement, the arrangement. They had probably agreed to it. Verse 35, the tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. And at this point, we might say, no, 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 don't send your son. Don't you see what they did to the other servants? Now, obviously, in this story, we recognize that this is about God the Father sending his son, Jesus Christ. They had already treated the prophets shamefully and killed some of them. 
And then God sends his son. He knew what he was doing. Verse 38. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Do you understand why they would do that? They saw the son as a sign of the authority of the vineyard owner. And they didn't want that authority in their lives. They wanted to be able to run that vineyard according to their own ways. They wanted to take that fruit for themselves. They wanted to run that vineyard as if it were their own. Verse 40, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And by the way, the word owner there is the word for Lord. That's why I, I, one of the reasons I love this parable so much, that, that owner is not just a man who owns a vineyard. He is the Lord of the vineyard. He is the one who is rightly in control of the vineyard. And Jesus asked the people, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Verse 41, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. What did this vineyard owner, this vineyard lord, expect? He expected things to run his way even while he was gone. And it's so interesting to me that in this parable, Jesus created this story where the vineyard owner, the vineyard lord, was away. Think about that. We feel like that sometimes, don't we? We feel like God is distant. We might feel like it's my life. I'm here, and and what's God doing? So in this story, these people started to get this opinion that they could run their lives their own way. But this parable shows us clearly that the Lord is still in control, even if he feels distant. So let's remember that. God is always in control. Second thing the vineyard Lord expected was he expected there to be fruit. He knew that it was good land. He knew it could produce fruit. He knew that these tenants should be able to provide it. So as we think about submitting to our Lord, Jesus Christ, we recognize that God wants to bear fruit through us, and God can do it. It's his work to bear fruit in us as we stay connected to him. And then again, another thing about this story that we all need to know is that the Lord of the vineyard asserted control of all the vineyard's resources. It all belonged to him. What did the tenants need to do? Well, they should have submitted to the vineyard Lord. This parable is a parable about submitting to the Lord. Now, I recognize that in this parable that God the Father is the Lord and and that Jesus is the Son. But in the New Testament, God the Father and God the Son share that name, Lord. So what this parable tells us is it teaches us a story about how to submit to the Lord. Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And to me now, it makes perfect sense why Jesus would say in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Do you see how out of place it is to claim that Jesus is Lord, but then to live our lives as if we were the ones who are in control? Jesus expects us to live our lives according to God's ways, and he expects us to bear fruit. He will come again to judge in regard to how we have served as tenants here on earth in God's vineyard. So one of the best ways to understand who a Lord is, is to look at a parable like this and to recognize that a Lord has servants and that Lord expects his servants to serve him. So it's kind of ironic then, we become servants in our own life. You see, there are some people who don't want to give up control of their lives to God. They say, I have my own plan. I would like to still pretend to be the Lord of my own life. They don't say pretend because they don't realize they're pretending, but that's what they're doing. They're pretending to be in control of their own lives. 
But we were not created to live like that. We were created to give control of our lives to our Lord. And, and that's the ironic part, where we become servants in our own lives. And we take this humble position of saying, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, how can I honor you? I hope you walk around all day long thinking, Lord, how can I honor you? How can I serve you? So who is the Lord of your life? Are you still pretending to be in control of your life? Even for those of you who have already received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you would say He's your Lord, but is there any area of your life? Or are you in a season of life in which you're really directing things yourself? May we remember, as, as we think about the gift that God has given to us, that the gift of Jesus Christ our Lord is meant to be a gift in which we are led into a new life. We were rescued from that old way of life, from sin and death. We are brought into a new life in which we submit to our Lord at every point. What would it look like for you to give Jesus full control of your life, for him to be the Lord of all? I pray that that's what happens for every single one of us as we submit to the Lord. It's not enough for us simply to say that we received Jesus a while back. Now, I hope that that's true. I hope we've all received Jesus. But I like to say it this way. If he was Lord when you received him, is he Lord today? If you gave your life to him at some moment in the past, is your life still in his hands right now? And if there's any of you that are all concerned about any of this, I would say just talk to God. I I remember having a conversation with God where I said, I'm not sure that Jesus is Lord, but I want him right now to be Lord. And I want every moment of the rest of my life from here on to prove to any who would see that Jesus is Lord. And even when they're not watching, you know, they say character is what you do when no one's watching. Well, it's like that with Lordship too. Jesus should be the Lord of every area of our lives. And we are to keep surrendering to him. Let's not be like those people in this parable who rejected the Lord. It didn't turn out well for them. And now I want to show you a verse, Romans 10.9, that combines these last two names of Savior and Lord. Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So saved obviously talks about what Jesus does as our Savior. So we are to believe in the resurrection. Do you believe that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, offered himself in your place for your sins, was crucified, dead, and buried, but on the third day he was raised again? Do you believe that in your heart? And then the second part, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. It's actually the first part of that verse, but uh, we'll talk, talk about the Savior part, now the Lord part. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. To confess means to profess. Do you profess that Jesus Christ is Lord? That he is the master of your life? That he is the Lord of the universe? If you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is good news of great joy that is for all people. Let's move on to our last name of Jesus now that we're going to look at. Emmanuel. Not that it's his last name. Like Some people think that Christ is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Like What would his middle name be? The? I don't know. But no, we're not talking about his last name here. We're talking about another name for Jesus. Emmanuel. I really like this one. Emmanuel means, I think most of you know this, God with us. Or you could throw in uh, the word is. God is with us. By the way, I like to spell Emmanuel with an I. Sometimes you see it spelled with an E. It really doesn't matter. It's just two different ways to spell it. It comes from the Hebrew. The, the word im means with. 
Manu means us, and El means God. So it's God with us. In Matthew 1, 22-23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. There was a huge sin problem on earth, in our hearts. Now, as God came up with a plan to cleanse our sin problem, he didn't, uh, first of all, praise the Lord, he didn't just wipe us out. That would have been one solution, right? If God saw all this sin on earth, he could have just made this cosmic laser beam, set it on earth, and said, boom, just away with it. That would have taken care of the sin problem. But that's not what God did. He had a better plan. Nor did God cleanse our sin problem from a distance. Let me give you another illustration here that's a contrast. I, I spent a summer at Colorado State University back when I was on staff with crew, and I, I lived in the... Uh, right, I, did I live there? Did I stay there? I stayed in the dorms, and um, we had a conversation about that yesterday. That's why he's laughing. But, uh, how long do you have to live, stay in a place to count it living there? I don't know. That's a side question. You can figure that one out later. So I was there for a few weeks, and it's, uh, it was all boys on the, floor, on the floor, and we had a community bathroom. And you know how community bathrooms get when it's all boys? They get messy. And I was thinking, man, I feel sorry for the person that has to come in and clean this. And one day I saw the person who came in and cleaned it, and he had on like this Ghostbusters pack sort of a thing with a spray wand. And I was just amazed as I watched him. He went into the shower stalls and just sprayed it all down from a distance. Went into each stall. Then he went into the bathroom stalls and did the same thing, just sprayed it all down. And I'm like, I want one of those. When I'm cleaning stuff, I don't like to get dirty. That's not how God cleansed our sin problem either. When God cleansed our sin problem, he sent Emmanuel to be near to us, to be with us. In fact, so close to us that when he was nailed to the cross, he took our sin upon himself. Jesus took our stain, our sin, upon himself. The promise of Emmanuel is the promise from a God who loves us so much that he wants to be with us. It's the promise of a God who came near to save us. And when I talk about the promise of God with us, I often say that I think it's the biggest blessing in the Bible. And I like to say it this way. Through the gospel, God has, has cleansed us and forgiven us of our sins so that we can do life with God now and forever. And think about that. The, the God with us life is a life that God intends for us to live right now. It's not just something that we wait for in heaven. It is something that will be there in heaven. When we see God face to face, we will live with God. In fact, uh, another one of my favorite verses is Revelation 21.3. It's summing up the whole story of God's plan, and it says that God will be with them. He will be our God, and we will be his people. God loves to be with us, but that promise is for right now as well. A while back, I, I looked for all the verses in the Bible that talk about God with us, and I found over 200 of them. This amazing blessing that just recurs throughout the Bible, the heart of God to be with us, to do life with us. So think about that. For those of us who have received Jesus as Savior and Lord, we've been cleansed of our sins. We've been invited into a relationship with God now and forever, and we can do life with God. So what does that mean for us? If we have God with us, what kind of life can we live right now? If we have God with us, we have the power to live a new life. We all live that old way of life where we tried to get what we wanted and sometimes maybe we'd get what we wanted for a time and oftentimes we'd fail. But now, we can live the life that God wants for us. 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yeah, we're probably going to continue to mess up, but we can repent and we can, we can go with God from there. And, and let's think about that for another moment. What about God with us in regard to sin? Now, the idea here is not that we would drag God into our sin, not at all. But let's say that we've strayed and we've, we've found ourselves in a place where we've sinned more than we should have, which is any, any sin is more than we should sin. What do we do there? We recognize that we've taken a wrong turn and we repent. And God is with us then to help us, to strengthen us, to go on the path that he has for us. Or think about a difficult circumstance in your life. Maybe you're in one right now. Know that the, God, that the promise of God with us is a promise for you right now in your difficulty, that he loves you and wants to be with you as you go through it. What a tremendous gift from our God who loves us so much that he wants to do life with us. It means that we can be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It means that whatever we go through, we have the assurance of knowing that God wants to go through it with us if we're seeking him and following him and walking with him. Praise the Lord that he has come near. Praise the Lord for Emmanuel, God with us. Let's recap now as we close. Jesus means the Lord saves. God knew what we needed. He sent the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save us. Messiah and Christ both mean anointed. It, this one, I, I like to think back to the Old Testament, all those promises, all those prophecies that God had given to his people and they're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, the Christ. And then as we think about a Savior, we recognize that we all needed to be saved from sin and death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's this gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we go to Lord, which means Master, which is a name for God, and we recognize that God is in charge, not us. Let us not be like those vineyard workers who get so caught up with what we're doing in the vineyard, who get so caught up with the way that we would like it to go, that we just do our own plans, that we reject God. Let's not be like that. Let's not reject God's plans. Let's joyfully submit to what our Lord has told us that he wants our lives to look like, and let's trust that he will strengthen us to live accordingly. And then Emmanuel, God is with us. What a blessing that God loves us so much that he wants to be with us. I want to invite you to come to our Christmas Eve service tomorrow. We're going to look at, there's a title in Philippians 2 where it says that Jesus was given the name above every name. So we're going to continue this What's in a Name series tomorrow as we look at that passage and we, we look at Jesus who has been given the name that is above every name. And as you go from here today, just, just look at that list again. And again, I, my, one of my prayers for today is that your heart would be encouraged as you either remember something old that you've known for a long time or as you embrace some new truth about who Jesus is. He is our Lord and our Savior. May we behold him. May we give him glory. May we submit to our Lord and have joy as we walk with him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for what you've given us, this tremendous gift in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we, we thank you for coming. We thank you that you are the Lord who saves. We thank you that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the long-awaited for priest and king, the anointed one. We thank you that you are our Savior. You save us from sin and death. We praise you as our Lord, our Master. We give our lives to you. And if there's anyone in here who has either not yet given their life to you or is just unsure about whether they're walking rightly with you, we just come before you right now and we confess Jesus is Lord.
would you please strengthen us to live the life that you want for us? And we praise you, God, that in Jesus we, we see this beautiful promise of Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that you came near and that you, you stay with your people. Take up residence in our hearts. Fill us with the Holy Spirit and do life with us. We look forward to eternity, to the life that is to come, and we praise you for the life that we have now. May we walk around with you, God, following you and whatever you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.